All right, man, we're going to be in uh, Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. Um, so we're, we're going to uh, start this series, and it's just a series celebrating Advent. Advent is uh, what Christian tradition calls the, the Christmas season, the, the, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And Advent comes from this root word, uh, mean coming, mean coming. It refers to God becoming incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, God became human. It describes this union of divinity and humanity in Jesus Christ. The scriptures come to my mind like the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or for The entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. That that, that when, when his disciples would look at him and they would say, will you show us God the Father? He could say, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's what we're remembering in this season. Not simply the, the presence or the tree, but the fact that, that God loves us so much that he drew near to us in Christ Jesus. A lot of times that we, we kind of take that fact for granted, particularly if we've been around Christian stuff. But just think about it. The, the God who was in heaven being worshipped for all eternity stooped down low to live among us. The, the God who, who never had any limitations, omnipresent, omniscient, he would confine himself to a human body. Beloved, this is what we are remembering. But not only are we remembering that he came, but remembering that he's going to come again. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I felt the chaos of this world this year. Has it not felt chaotic? I, I've been uh, watching some sitcoms with my wife, and, and like a, a lot of them were like, uh, particularly Superstore, it was like reliving when the virus first hit. And I was like, that was this year. You know, like, they're like it'll be gone in a couple of months. You know, like all the, all the things I like, it's just, it's, just, it's just a temporary thing. But no, we, are, we see the chaos. We see the chaos. And so, The question is, how do we live between his first and his second coming, right? We live in this tension. He has come, he is coming, we live in this mess right now. What do we do with that? So we're going to look at this text in Isaiah, Isaiah 64, that points us to his coming and sees what instructions that it has for us today. So we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to verse 1 to verse 9. If only you would tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Just as fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that nations would tremble at your presence. When you did awesome works that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. From ancient times, no one has heard, no one has listened to, no eye has seen any God except you who acts on the behalf of the one who waits for him. You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right. 
they remember you in their ways, but we have sinned and you are angry. How can we be saved if we remain in our sins? All of us have become like something unclean. And all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. No one calls on your name, striving to take hold on you. For you have hidden your face from us and made us melt before our iniquity. Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We all are the work of your hands. Lord, do not be terribly angry. Or remember our iniquity forever. Please look. All of us are your people. So there's a, there's a saying that we have in the church. We're trying to understand what the Bible is saying. And it's context is king. All right, so we need to understand the context, the setting, if you will, of what's happening. So that we can properly understand what God is trying to communicate us. God's people in this moment that they heard this word were in exile. This is written to God's people who were violently driven away from their home. And they're, they're grasping for some kind of hope and deliverance. A country that's known for its ruthlessness came and destroyed their home and took them away. Now, now put, put yourself in the shoes of the refugee, that everything that you have clinged to, everything that you were familiar with, the stability that you have known from your youth is ripped away from you in a moment. Imagine the, the disorientation. Life as you've known it has been ripped away from you. Families have been torn apart. You're being confused because all of your usual expectations are not being met. There's a sense of longing for the familiar. Remember what it was like before exile, before we were taken away, before our world was turned upside down. You know, when, when times are hard, even good memories have a sting. When things are going well or, or when you miss a loved one and you remember that good memory, there is a sting that comes with that as well. Imagine the lament. This, the lament is this grief expressed towards God. This is what we are seeing in this chapter. And not only all of that, but there also would be a sense of shame because the exile, their punishment was because of their communal sin. Imagine the shame of living and the consequences of your sin every day. You wake up and you're like, why are we here? We why are we here? Now, the question is, have any of y'all felt any of those emotions lately? A sense of disorientation? Longing for the familiar? Lament? Some of us feel shame. There is this grasping for, for an emotion and a familiarity that we do not have. It's like our world is in a season of exile, a season of longing and striving. The question is, how do we comfort each other as we feel this way? What, what can be said as we walk through this season of, of disorientation? 
That's why we're looking to this prayer as instruction. The first thing that, that I'll point out is that God's people were longing for God's intervention. If you look at verse 1, it says, If only you would tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, just as fire kinders brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that nations would tremble at your presence. When you did awesome works that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. In other words, we, they are having a desire for, for God to come up, come and show up in a big way. I don't know if you've ever had this, this thought and this feeling. Why won't he just fix it? Just fix it. It's broken. Just, just make it right. That's what they're feeling. Will you just fix the thing? We have big problems. We need a big solution. You're a big God. Where are you? Why would you not just, just, just come? Even say, they say that, that phrase, tear the heavens open. It's like they felt there was a wall between them and God. Have you ever been praying and you felt like, are my prayers even getting there? Are they, are they leaving the wall? Are they, are, they, are, they, are they rising above the roof? Does he hear me now? They're like, will you, just, will you remove this, this separation that I feel from you? Not only that, they, they wanted some sense of justice. Now remember, they're setting. They were in a season of exile. They wanted a, 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 a just balance, if you will. There were those who were causing harm, and, and they needed to be dealt with. So God, would you, would you, would you, it doesn't seem like you listen. It doesn't seem like you hear me. Would you listen, and would you deal with this stuff, these enemies, this injustice, this pain? Would you deal with it? And not only that, they, they were remembering when God had intervened before. Like I said, like, look at verse 3, when, when you did awesome works that we did not expect. Here's the craziest thing. It's like, you, God, you delivered us from Egypt. Like, we, we know you have power. We read about that. So, like, we, we, because we know you're able, we don't understand why you won't. Because we know that you have power to do something. Listen, there's a specific steam because... I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I've seen his power and I've seen his deliverance. And then there's been other times where I'm like, but I remember when I felt like you delivered me. But what, what is going on right now? Because I, I, I know it's not because you're unable or incapable. So what is happening? They, see, they had this longing, this frustration. And listen, where did they direct it? They directed it to him. They took their longing, their frustration, their pain, and they directed it to God. See, not, not only do we need to, to express our longing for God's coming to him, we need to have an honest assessment of ourselves in times of exile. Look, look, at, look at verse 4 and 5. He says, from ancient time, no one has heard. No one has listened to, no eye has seen any God except you who acts on our behalf. The one who waits for him. You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right. They, they remember you in their ways. But we have sinned and you are angry. How can we be saved if we remain in our sins? See, we all have the sense that God will take care of those who do what is right. Like if you do what's right, 
God, it'll go well for you. This is like what we instinctually believe, right? You think, well, it's our, you can call it other stuff, karma. We call it different stuff depending on where you're from. We're like, well, it will go well for you if you do what is right. Seek God and he will bless you. But oftentimes, we're not those people. <laughs> oftentimes, we're not the ones who did what is right. Here's the deal. Because we have this, this uh, uh, innate understanding or this innate thought, this hope, if you will, that if we do what is right, then it will go well for us. That puts us in the danger of self-deception. Let me tell you why. Because you're like, if, if I do what's right, he, he will do, you know, right by me. So, like, I can't actually be honest about my failures because then I think he won't have anything to do with me. And so we, we paint this picture as if we are better than we are. Or if we're handling things, like, there, there, somebody will be like, how are you doing? And, like, you'll be like, man, it's, it's horrible. He'll be like, I'm good. I'm blessed. No, you're not. not like, you, know, you don't feel that. That's not how you're feeling. But you're like, but, but if, I, if I present this self of uh, I've, been, I've been doing what's right, therefore he ought to. But we don't, we don't often meet that standard. See, we need an honest self-assessment that calls sin what it is. Not an oopsie, but actually what it is. That's what they do. Look at verse 6. It says, all of us have become like something unclean. And all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities carry us away like the wind. No one calls on your name striving to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and made us melt because of our iniquity. That first thing he says, that like something unclean, that's, that's not like something we, not a word we use. That'd be, if somebody was like, you're unclean, you'd be like, oh, okay. You know, like, thank you, I guess. I don't know. I'll take a shower. So, so what, is, what is he talking about? What, is, what does this unclean mean? It's this, it's this sense of feeling unworthy to be in somebody's presence. I'll give you an example. Suppose you got invited to a fancy party, but you thought y'all was just hanging out. All right, you show up. Everybody's got the tux on. They got the Cinderella dress on, and you in your sweatpants. And you be like, I don't think I'm supposed, like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here right now. <laughs> like, I'm not dressed for this. But this idea of unclean, that's, that, that's the same idea that when we show up in God's presence, the Holy One, the Righteous One, and we look at the, the clothes of our actions, which is like, am, am I supposed to be here? Am I dressed for this? I did not bring the... I have not been wearing the right clothes. It's like we, have a, we, we, we did not feel prepared to meet God. That's what they're expressing. They're like, we, we've been unclean. We haven't been prepared to meet with you, but we're still calling, but we're not really ready. We, we feel like we, we're kind of uh, not supposed to be here, but, but we don't have anywhere else to go. They're conf confessing the reality. And listen, I know that's not hypothetical because I talk to people. And I say, will you, will you, do you want to come to church? Do you want to call them to small group? Whatever. You want to come to a thing about Jesus? And they'll be like, well, when I get better. <laughs> and that's nebulous. But the idea is they have this sense of uncleanness. Like, I, I don't know if I'm ready for all that. I don't, if I show up, will I have the right stuff on? So what they do instead is, what we do instead is we put on a public righteousness that is not sincere. All of us have become something unclean. 
and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. He like even the even the stuff that we say is righteous is not really that righteous. We we kind of put on this 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 moral clothes, if you will, to let people uh, think that we have what what we need and that we're that things are going well. See, we seek a cheap righteousness for justification. I'm doing good. I'm good. Did, did you see everything that I did? There is no greater case study of this than social media. It's like righteousness with no sweat equity. <laughs> like you showed up, you know, y'all going to build something. You took the picture, and then you drove away. But you took the picture, though. Listen, listen, y'all. We, uh, the reason that, that our heart manufactures and delights and, and kind of subtly showing how good we are is because deep down we want to be wearing the right moral clothes because we feel ashamed. And so we're, we're searching for something to put on us because we're like, we're in the season of exile. I, I feel kind of distant. Things aren't going my way. But if, if, I, if I do what's right, then God will accept me. But I'm not quite doing what I know I ought to be doing is right. But I could, if I just do enough, then, then it, it'll make it believable. Do you know what I'm talking about? We are seeking some sort of, some sort of justification. And it comes out in odd and different ways where people will be very undescriptive. Like, you, you remember when I did that thing? Now, we all know what the thing, we know what it is. Not only that, they, he's, they're, they're realizing their own, their own fickleness, if you will. He says, like, like, we're like a leaf. Our iniquities carry us away. Our commitments are not being kept. Like, one day I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. The next day I'm, I don't know. Like, I'm just being carried away by the winds of my own heart and the winds of my situation. Listen, I want you to see how ruthlessly honest they're being about their own heart. Because I don't want you to feel this compulsion to lie to God and to yourself about what's really happening. Because we all feel that. So whatever it is, let's be ruthlessly honest about our sin. If we're in a season where things seem kind of bad, where there's a, there's a sense of darkness, where there's some uncertainty... That is a perfect season to lay our hearts bare before the Lord and say, this is what's happening. This is really what's happening. I know what I told them, and I know what I posted the other day, but this is really how I'm feeling. We can't hide the truth anyway, but here's the deal. If I trust in God's kindness and in his grace, that will motivate me to be honest. Look at verse 8. They all just poured out all this dirt, right? Then it goes, yet, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. So even when they had all of their sin, they said, no, but, but I can be completely honest with you, God, because I know something about you. You are the one who has created me, and you are the one who is my caring father. And I don't know about you if, you, if you make something with your own hand, you want to protect it. I ain't never made nothing from scratch, but I done put together some furniture. You know what I'm saying? That's, that, that, I put together some furniture, and then afterwards, I was so proud. I was like, look at that. But then if one of my kids started jumping, I'm like, listen now. Do you know how long it took me <laughs> to put this together? Listen, 
if we care about inanimate uh, objects that we have created, how much more does God care about us whom he has created? How much more does he want to protect what he has created? You don't create stuff and just throw it on a wayside. You create stuff and you cherish it. This is God's feelings about us even when we're unclean. He's a caring father. See, our father will not abandon us in exile and uncertainty. Listen, if your child is in danger, even if he made his own mess, you still run to help them. Beloved, that's our father. We need to, listen, we can be so uh, wrongly convinced that because of the season, because of the frustration, because of the uncertainty and the pain, we can convince ourselves that he doesn't really care or that he's really just out to get us or that he just wants to see us suffer. But remember, remember this, that they can say, I don't see you. I ain't doing right. But I know this about you, that you are a caring father. And so that all these things look, look wrong and frustrating, I know that you care about me. And that when I am in danger, you don't just let me wallow, but you run to me. And with that in mind, they make a final plea, Lord, do not be terribly angry or remember our iniquity forever. Please look, all of us are your people. I want you to look at the boldness and, and the rawness of this prayer. Has lament, frustration, sin, grief, shame. All of the things that you are feeling, you can pour them out before the Lord. If we trust in his grace and lean into his grace, when we feel like we are in a season of exile, like what is going on? We can pour out our heart and long for him and understand that his character is that he seeks to protect us and bless us, even when we do not see. He sees. Right? So please look. Beloved, if he sees... He will act, and we know that he sees us. Now listen, if we live in this world that feels like exile sometimes, it's full of frustration and uncertainty, we can know this, that God has come into the exile of this world. Remember they said, if you would just, just come down, like break some mountains, just like just come strong. God, we need you to come strong. How much stronger could he come than coming in the flesh? They said, they said will, will, will you come down? Will, will, there seems like there's something separating us. There seems like this wall that I can't get through. Will you come down? And God's answer in Christ Jesus is yes. I will come. It's an overwhelming yes. That God doesn't just look at us in our suffering and our frustration of this world, but he himself puts on flesh and experiences it himself. Quite literally. When Jesus was born, there was an assignment to, to kill him. And his families literally had to exile themselves to Egypt. He understands uncertainty. 
He understands this, this sense of what is going on. But he willingly endured this. He willingly entered the world of our exile so that we would have hope and assurance that he will not leave us there. See, everything that they longed for in this prayer, everything that they confessed, God has answered in the coming of Christ. You remember how they longed for justice? God, will you make your name great so that, you, that, that your enemies would fear you? Did not Christ speak about and demonstrate God's justice? When he declared over and over again that you have to have compassion on the weak. Y'all remember that time? That, 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 uh, there's a lot of memes about that where he went up in the temple and started whipping folk. Like, get out of here. What was that about? He saw those exorbitant prices being put on the poor. And he says, I'm not about that. God has come close to us and has dis displayed his justice. Remember that phrase, he says that God will draw near to the one who joyfully does what is right. I don't know about you, even when I do right, it's not always joyful, right? Yeah, I'm like, I did it. But Christ joyfully did what was right in our place. He says that whatever I see the Father do, I do. And whatever I hear the Father say, I will say. Even when he's staring down the cross, Hebrews 12 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He joyfully did what was right, and the Lord heard him. And he died in our place for the list of our sins. We talked about that feeling of unclean, that feeling of, uh, should I be here? Christ was treated as the unclean one. They crucified him outside of the city on a hill for everybody to see so that everyone would know he is getting punished. And when people walked by, they just wagged their head. So much condemnation, so much uncleanness. He died this shameful death. Christ came, lived among us, and experienced the reality of exile for us. Christ demonstrated the care and faithfulness of the Father. I know that sometimes, maybe you don't wonder it in words, but in your mind, you're like, in your emotions, you're like, does God love me? Well, why did Christ come? For God so loved the world that he sent. And not only that, Jesus will come back to enact justice and fulfill the Father's plan. You know, we've been saying the Apostles' Creed and one of the lines that says, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That means he's going to set it all right. So with all that, we know that he sees us now. We know that he delivers and strengthens us because he is in heaven interceding for us. So with all of that, with, with, with all of our emotions and all of our needs put out there in Christ coming to meet our needs in the most real way, what does that mean for us right now? It means that we have to remember the story. You ever thought about, like, sometimes people ask me, why do y'all do communion every week? Why do we do it every week? One, the Bible says, as often as you meet, do it. So why, why would the Bible instruct us to do this every week? Because if somehow I mess it up in the sermon, you are going to hear about Jesus' death and resurrection for you. 
It's not that you didn't know it before you came. You're not learning something new, but it's a story. It's a truth that you need to rehearse in your mind. Now, I, I was watching a, a Black Panther, and, and he's in a fight, you know, when they're in that, like, water area, like the waterfall or whatever, and he's getting beat up. And his mama says, remember who you are. And then he, he gets up and he wins the battle. Now, did he, did he literally forget who he was? Did he forget his name? No, no. But he's like, no, no, no. You need to rehearse the truth so that you know how to act. And in a similar way, beloved, we rehearse the gospel so that our hearts are trained in hope and that our hearts are trained to understand that God loves us and that he intervenes on our behalf consistently, that he will set all things right. I have to rehearse my mind in the gospel so that I know how to act and I know how to experience this life. How do we live in, in the, the, the here and now? Listen, we confess and lament regularly. Why would we do this? Listen, so often I, I see believers that, that are drowning in guilt and shame. They're just drowning in that guilt and shame. And they, they live with this, this like cloud of, of oppressive shame over their, over their minds. And they're just, they're, if you think about anything spiritual, if you bring anything spiritual up, you can see their head just drop. Beloved, we don't have to live this way. Stop running away from the one who ran to you in Christ. Even more, we need to do this in community. Listen, it's one thing to, to kind of talk to myself, be like, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me. But when I tell my brother, hey, I've sinned, and he says, Jesus forgives you, I'm like, it's the same information, but it feels different. <laughs> We have to be honest about this, and we have to encourage one another to confess sin and then be quick to remind each other what Christ has done. Listen, we lament. We don't stuff down our negative emotions. There's, there's, there's a Christian culture that somehow makes, it, makes us feel like we have to pretend like we're cool, like we got everything together. Well, there's, no, there's no negativity over here. I'm blessed and highly favored. That's not, come on, y'all. But, beloved, we express the anger, the grief, and the frustration to God and to one another. And what do we do? We remind each other of the story. The last thing this calls us to do is that we fulfill our calling as an act of faith now. Here's the deal. When God's people were in exile, they still had to go to work. They still had families. They still had everyday responsibilities. And here's what I know. Those who are depressed and anxious have trouble doing everyday tasks. I know this from experience. If we let the, the, the uncertainty and the frustration of this life overrule us, we will not accomplish the very real task that we have right in front of us. But if Christ has come and he is coming, we have stability for, for, to fulfill our responsibilities. Listen, listen, if we have hope in exile, it makes us be good neighbors. And let's not, let's not overly spiritualize that. Let's say, who is your neighbor? Your spouse, the person, the people you live with, the, your coworker, your family. We all have these responsibilities. And beloved, if my heart is secure in God's love for me because I remember that he came and I remember that he's coming again, I can fulfill the responsibilities I have to do with joy 
And here's the crazy thing I want to let you in on. You ever, you ever thought about the prayer where it says, give us today our daily bread? You ever thought about how God answers that? How does God usually answer that? Does bread appear before you? Usually, I don't know. That would be cool if it did. Tell me. Usually, somebody who had a job to make some food made it. And somebody who drives a truck drives a truck and, and they drove it to you. And then somebody works at the grocery store. Like, it is fulfilled by people fulfilling their particular responsibilities. I'm saying this to tell you this, that God provides for those around you through your faithfulness. And if I am secure in what Christ has done, then my heart is stable enough to do it well. And I then become answers to people's real prayers. So though we live in this this season of uncertainty and, and instability, there is one thing that does not change, that Christ came, that he dealt with our sin. He rose from the dead, and he is coming back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. You are so kind and and so generous and, and so loving. Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness to be honest with you, honest with you about our sin, our frustration, any, any of the emotions that we feel, would you give us grace to be honest? And Lord, would you encourage our hearts with the truth of Christ Jesus? That he understands exactly how we feel in this season of exile because he himself willingly endured it on the cross. Lord God, as, as we're about to take communion, Lord, I pray that, that by the Spirit you would encourage us afresh that you have given your body and your blood for our salvation. Lord, we cling to that. Would that be rehearsed in our minds? And would you strengthen us by the Spirit as we remember? In Jesus' name, amen.